We're continuing our journey in Romans chapter 10. We'll be uh, approaching Romans uh, 10 verses 5 through 13 this morning. Um, we will be concluding Romans 10 next week. And uh, th- these are some, some very, um, some things that we ar- should already be familiar with to a certain extent. I'm going to get into our time from last week as a review, not only as a review, but part of our introduction for our time together this morning. But the gospel message and at the center of all things being Jesus Christ. So we remember, or at least we should, this letter as Paul continues to address all of these questions from the Jewish agitators, so to speak, or objectors, so to speak, trying to help them understand, look, this is what the gospel message is. This is what salvation is. And so one of the things that I want us to, to truly embrace um, if we don't already, to truly understand, if we don't already, that uh, in and through all things is God's grace, His grace. I don't want us to go through this message or just even chapter 10 as a whole and miss God's grace in and through all of this. And that is undeserved favor. God's undeserved favor. This is what grace means. It means that He bestows upon us favor in which we do not deserve. Favor in which we do not deserve. How have you experienced God's grace? One of the things that we need to remember, not only from our message last week, but remember as believers, remember as Christians, is what? We don't deserve what we have. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve eternity in heaven with with God. We don't deserve to be forgiven of our sins. We don't deserve none of these things. And the only reason why we have them is because of the grace and mercy of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. We will see that in, in detail as we look at our passage this morning. But one of the things that I want to remind you of not only of God's grace, but what Paul is speaking to the Jews here in Romans chapter 10. Now, he continues to, to, to remind them that his desire is for them to be saved, right? We went back and looked at previous messages in Romans about how Paul was even willing to give up his own salvation, if that was even at all possible, so that the Jews would be saved, Right? And understanding what that means and what that looks like. But then here in beginning of chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, in which we looked at last week, is that his heart's desire and prayer is still for them to be saved, right? But they have an unhealthy zeal for God. And he wants them to understand that he knows about this unhealthy zeal because he once had that unhealthy zeal for God as well. This zeal, this thinking this ignorance of righteousness of God, seeking it through establishing their own works through the law, could never be obtained. Ultimately, pointing out that they have never submitted to God's true, holy righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And that ends it in verse 4 there in Romans chapter 10 but ultimately understanding that Paul's desire is for them to be saved. But Paul's desire is to stay true 
to the word of God. And he's like, look, this is what salvation is. This is what true righteousness is. You've rejected that. You've rejected it. So you have no righteousness. You have no salvation. One of the things that we looked at is how people manipulate God's word, especially Paul's passage. And when he says, I've become all things to all people so that some may know the gospel, so that some may be saved. But we need to continue on saying that that it is a, a commitment. It is a following through. It is a submission to God's holy word never compromising that whatsoever. We do not become all things to all people so that some may be saved um, by compromising our faith, by becoming more like the world. If anything, it just exposes what's in the heart. We have to remember what God's Word says about exposing the heart. He does it through the Word. The Word is active and living and sharper than any two-edged sword, separating bone and marrow, soul and spirit, Right? judging the intentions and motives of the heart. We have to understand this grace and mercy and true righteousness. We have to fully embrace what the Scriptures teach us and what the Scriptures do not. We need to continue to press forward to understand God's holy truth. God's holy truth. We need to stop allowing the world to dictate how we see Christianity, how we view God. It's the other way around. We view the world on how God tells us to view the world. This is a true biblical worldview where we view everything in the world through God's holy word. This is something that all believers are called to not only embrace, but a command that is given for us to follow through and through. So as we segue into our time together this morning, we will see Paul address this. This is one of the passages that makes it very, very clear to us what salvation is and what salvation is not. Because the Jewish people that Paul is talking to here, that Paul is addressing, continue to miss the mark and understand true grace and mercy and righteousness. Before we go any further, let us pray, and then we will get into our text this morning. Lord God, we are humbled before you because we are truly not worthy But we understand that your grace and mercy is abundant and undeserving. And that we submit to you because we love you. We understand the sacrifice that was made undeservingly for us. So we worship you. We submit to you. We long for you and your ways, your will your word. So Lord, bless us this time. May this message be of you and no one else. Use your word in the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us, counsel us and convict us to be in step with the Holy Spirit, to be more like Jesus Christ. 
We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn with me to Romans chapter 10, picking up at verse 5, if you are not already there. Follow along as I read our passage, our text for us this morning. Verse 5, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your hearts who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. So let's pick up at verse 5 where it says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. So there's a lot there in this one verse, okay? But Paul is essentially continuing on in this passage to show us once again the contrast between the two different types of righteousness. The righteousness in which the Jewish people think or believe they're gaining righteousness, and that is through the law, through their acts, right? Through their efforts. And then the, the righteousness received by faith, the word of faith. What word is that? The word of God. Yes, I know we've already been down this path before. Why? Because we, 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 we go through verse by verse through Scripture, right? And Paul continues to repeat some things over and over. Why? Because the Jewish people are very stubborn. They're not getting it. Now, I know we don't have to look very far no further than a mirror to find someone who's stubborn, who's hard-headed, who doesn't like to be told what to do, who has difficulty taking correction or teaching from others. I know we all can think of things within ourselves that we may even passively agree with but not embrace, live out. So let me ask you this, just as the Jewish people needed to hear messages over and over because they weren't getting it, they weren't living it, even though they may even agree with Paul, right, with tongue in cheek, so to speak, they were not living it, they were not embracing it, they were continuing to question it. How many times have you heard a message and walked away and not lived out 100% of that message? I think we all can raise our hands. So, we need to repeat some messages, not in word-by-word repetition, but in principle, in teaching, right, in God's commands. We need to hear it over again 
and sometimes again, and sometimes again. Why? Because we are stubborn. We are hard-headed. We have flesh, and we live in a fallen world. So just like the Jews, we need to hear this over again. Why? Because my, my question is always this. When someone asks me, Pastor Raph, you've already taught on that. Can we move on? And then I'll ask, are you living it out? You've already heard this message. Great. You're going to hear it again. Why are you living it out? Are you living it out? The word is not mentally is, is not meant to mainly be taught to you to have an intellectual increase right within yourself. The Word of God is taught and preached to you ultimately to change your life, how you live it out. How are you? How are you receiving God's Word? Anyways, let us move on to what Paul is leading us into here in verse 5 through the scriptures, we should be able to hear the difference between these two different approaches to righteousness, right? The difference between righteousness through the law and righteousness through faith. I, I, I hope or, you know, maybe it's a, it's a pastor's um, kind of... Uh, I don't know, ignorance to assume that everyone listens to my messages all the time and, and uh, you know, they're so wonderful and great that, you know what, you want to listen to them again throughout the week and, um, or maybe you're taking some of my previous advice. If you have a hard time going to sleep, you can tune into my messages online and, you know, have something to help you doze off to. I understand. Um, but any means, I hope, I hope that, uh, you have been with us through our journey in Romans, um, at least from last week. If not, you can go back and listen to them. If you don't want to, that's fine, to each his own. But we can see through the Scriptures, or hopefully up to this point, if we have been tracking with this, the, the, the message, the journey that we've been on through Romans, um, we can see, we can be able to identify, we can discern the differences between someone seeking righteousness through the law versus someone seeking righteousness through faith. Now, one has its origins in the law, obviously, to receive righteousness through works, right? Through deeds, these different things. And the other one is based on faith, ultimately, in Jesus Christ. Very simple. Now, in Leviticus 18, verse 5, Moses writes, and we see some of it here in verse 5, from a reference, right? So it says, for Moses writes about the righteousness. That's from Leviticus 18, verse 5. Now, the man who achieves righteousness through the law must live it out and maintain it forever. This is the problem with someone trying to achieve righteousness through the law, okay? Now, if you could do that, right? Moses is saying, and we're going to dig into it just a bit more here in a moment. If you could do that, you not only have to maintain it, but you have to keep it forever. You can never not stop maintaining perfect law, so to speak. We'll look at that in a moment as to why. 
Now, of course, this expectation can never be met by sinful man. All it's saying, basically, if man could keep the law perfectly and perpetually, like going on forever and ever and ever, he would not, need, he would not be condemned to death. But you see, the law was given to people who were already sinners, who were already condemned to death. And even if we could keep the law perfectly, we'd still be lost because God requires a payment for those sins. God requires a payment for those sins. So just because you can keep it doesn't mean you are sinless. You have sins in the past of which need to be paid in full. Any hopes that men may or any of us could obtain righteousness by the law are essentially doomed to fail from the beginning. Why? Well, James gives us a little glimpse at that um, in a couple uh, areas. I'm going to take us to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 8. We see the similar uh, parallel um, passage also in James 3, but we're going to look at James 2, 8 through 10. It says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. I'm going to read one more. I know it's, I stopped at 10, but I wanted to read one up to 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty right? Why? Now it goes on to talk about mercy and how mercy triumphs over judgment, but it's to help us understand, look, if your requirements, if your standard is the law and that's it for righteousness, even if you're good or perfect at all the big things, any of the little things, right? Any of the little laws that you break, it doesn't matter if you they're not big. Even if they're small, they're still, you're just, just as bad. You're a lawbreaker, right? You're a sinner. You fall short. You miss the mark. We're beginning to see over and over again, as Paul explains to us or explains to the Jewish people again, look, you cannot achieve righteousness this way. You cannot. It is impossible. Something, someone, needs to pay the price for your sins. Don't worry, Paul ushers us into understanding that. And he does it in such a way that the Jewish people should not only see it, but comprehend it. But we've seen this before, right? We've been down this path before. Some will ultimately just reject the gospel truth, literally, because of what? Hardened hearts, stubbornness, and rejection of God. 
Let's move on to verses 6 and 7, Romans chapter 10. But the righteousness based on faith says, okay, so we get, we get a quote here, okay, because we see what Moses said, right, okay, but it says, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. Well, that's interesting. That is to bring Christ down, verse 7. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Hmm. So a lot of people get confused about these two verses. What does that mean, Pastor Raph? What does that mean? And what we fail to do is, what we fail to do is look at where does this verse or these two verses come from, okay? Because they're a quotation, Paul's quoting here. I don't know if you know this, but he's taking Old Testament scripture and applying it here in Romans. Okay? It, it, we saw it in verse 5. We're seeing it. We're going to see it all throughout the passage that we're looking at this morning. But what it, where does this come from? It comes from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 30. I'm going to take you there later. I will reference it as we go through, but towards the end, I'm going to take you to Deuteronomy 30. We're going to look at that a little more in depth. But we see here these two verses, right? What do they mean? The righteousness that is based on faith is quite different. It does not require uh, uh, this valiant exploit, so to speak, or this very big thing, right? Um, essentially, Paul is beginning to say to the Jewish people, look, the gospel message is right here, okay? They're still thinking about works. They're still thinking about their own achievement, their own efforts, kind of giving you the answer before I give you the answer, so to speak, okay? So then we, we can make sure we're all on the same page, right? It, 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 essentially, Paul is telling them, and he's beginning to explain to them, you don't have to go to great lengths to find the gospel. You don't have to travel to the, the highest mountains, right? And it's waiting at, you know, at the top of this highest mountain. And as you get to the top, there's this glowing box and you open it and it's like, oh, the gospel, right? You don't have to go to the great depths of the seas, right? like Aquaman or something going down to the depths in the canyons and you find this, you know, golden chest glowing down there in the darkness and you open it, it's like, ah, oh, the gospel, right? It's almost in a sense, um, I, I don't want to say Paul is, is, is kind of poking fun at the Jews, it's not because this is an Old Testament reference in Deuteronomy, but he's saying, look, it's not as difficult as you make it. It's not, Right? All we need is a mirror to find someone stubborn. All we need is a mirror to find someone who doesn't like correction, accountability, teaching, to be uncomfortable. And see, the thing is, is the, the thing that stands in our way most of the times, the thing that makes it so difficult majority of the time is us. It's us. And this is the problem with the Jewish people here. It's them. They, they, they can't get past themselves. 
because in their brains, they think they're right. Doesn't matter what Paul teaches them about God's word. And now he's taking them to Deuteronomy. He's right, he's taking them to Old Testament. And we're going to say it throughout this whole passage. Look, look, you should know. You should know. Scholars of the law, right? You should know this. This is no secret. So as Paul quotes Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 12 through 13, there's one change he, he, he makes there in one of them, and it says, down to the depths, right? Instead of down to the depths, he changes it to who will descend into the abyss, okay? Who will ascend into the abyss instead of down to the depths? Ultimately, helping them trying to understand is, look, it doesn't make sense of what you're doing. None of that makes sense of what you're doing. None of that... Un- it doesn't, it's not necessary. This is a direct reference to the incarnation and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is taking their understanding of works and applying it into a theological form, into a doctrinal, essentially a doctrinal statement saying, look, Christ has already went to the depths and come back up, Okay? It's already happened. It's already happened. Christ has already come down, right, in flesh, his incarnation. The incarnate Christ, right, the word became flesh. You don't have to go to heaven to look for the gospel. The the gospel came to us. You don't have to go to the depths because Jesus has already gone to the depths and conquered death and has risen from the grave. It's a gospel message. All centered in who? In Christ. The incarnate Christ. The resurrected Christ. They don't get it. Back in Deuteronomy, Moses told people that they did not have to climb to get to heaven. They didn't have to go to the depths. They didn't have to do all these things that I've already explained to find the gospel, right? It's right there. It's right in front of them. Christ has already come down, and he's already ascended back up. Thing is, these are the two doctrines that the Jewish people could not embrace, They couldn't believe. They rejected it. The thing is, he has come in the flesh. He has conquered the grave. And he has left us his word. He has left us the gospel. He has left us the work of Jesus Christ. You see, they got to accept these two facts to be able to understand the rest of this passage. They truly, they truly need to read the rest of Deuteronomy chapter 30. So we're, let's go there now so we can see a little more in depth. We're going to go further, or we're going to go quite a bit, uh, little bit more than just those two verses that um, Paul has referenced. Deuteronomy 30. Starting in verse 10. When you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in his book of the law 
when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So we can see at some of the promises, if you want to read before that, right, the different promises that, that God is saying, right? But ultimately, verse 10, when you obey the voice of the Lord your God and keep his commandments. Look, we see this over and over and over again. What is this? Obeying the commands of God. What is that? That is something that gives us discernment to understand and see who are saved and who are not. Because the scriptures tells us, Jesus himself teaches, if you love me, you will what? Obey my commands. And so it drives me nuts when people say, oh, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, but I live this way. I believe this. Thing is, is if you love Jesus, you will obey his commands. Now let's go back to the mirror. Remember that stubborn person in the mirror? It's hard, right? We're not perfect. Now remember this. We cannot look in the mirror and it's like, I can't obey all the commands. It's too hard. I can't do it. I'm never going to be perfect. Ah, if that's your mentality, you're what? You're seeking righteousness through the law. You're seeking righteousness through the law. Remember, you, you can't do it. It's impossible, right? But then why does God expect that of us? Because it should be the desire of our hearts, of our lives, is to be like him. Perfect. We should look in the mirror and say, man, I'm stubborn. I'm weak. I need to improve in these areas. Right? And we work towards that through what? By God's grace and mercy. Because then we go in front of the mirror and we're like, man, I'm messed up. And then in return, God says, yeah, but I still love you. Why? Because you recognize that you're messed up. See, the thing is, is when we go before the mirror, we're like, man, I look good. I look good. I had a student one time, this was many years ago. He could not walk past a mirror without stopping and pulling the comb out of his pocket to make sure his hair was good. Could not. And I asked him about it. He goes, I don't do that. I said, okay. So every time he did it, and I said, hey, you just did it. He did not realize that every time he passed a mirror, he had to stop and make sure his hair was good. See, a lot of times we stop and we're like, oh, man, I look good. But we don't, we don't recognize our faults. We don't recognize our sin. We don't recognize. See, we cannot experience God's grace until we recognize our faults, our failures, our sin. Then we can experience God's grace. Why? Because we don't deserve what we what, have guaranteed to us through salvation in Jesus Christ. See, that's the thing. We, we come to passages such as this, and we don't understand why, because we don't embrace. Why? Because we blow through them. It's Old Testament. That's old. I'm young. It's irrelevant. I'm relevant. See, it just doesn't match. Makes absolutely no sense. Why? Because we can see Jesus himself, Paul himself, 
continuing to pull from the Old Testament, right? To witness, like, look, the message has always been there. It's always been there. We just miss it. We neglect it. So we see here, right? Look, obey the commands. Obey the commands. Verse 11, for this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. It's not too difficult. We can't come and look at it and like, man, this is too hard. I can't do it. You're right. You can't. Guess who can? God. Experience his grace. Experience his love. Experience his mercy. Man, I'm a mess. Look at God's grace. He still loves this. I didn't even fix my hair this morning. I'm a mess. We see that God's grace, it is not far off. Verse 12, it is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to the heaven for us and bring it to us? Ah, we're getting more context right from the quote from Paul. That we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over to the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can what? Do it. This isn't a new message. It's in Deuteronomy. Jewish people are raised in this book. It's not new to them. It's amazing. No, it's not amazing. It's actually disheartening how many people look at this, this verse here, verses 6 and 7 in Romans chapter 10, and are like, oh, wow. Do you not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven and, and who will go into... Hey, you're not to judge who goes to heaven and who doesn't. That's not what the context of the passage is. It's a quote from Deuteronomy talking about you understanding the gospel and understanding God's commands ultimately to what? They're right there. They're not too hard for you. Live them out. People take this out of context all the time. Why? Because they don't understand the true gospel message, the scriptures, right? It's ultimately understanding, are we going to God's word, right, to prove something or to be taught something? Time and time again, there's so many people out there that go into God's word to prove something because they want to use God's word in a way that makes their life acceptable, makes their life comfortable, wants to prove somebody wrong. It's not that. We need to go into God's word to be taught, to be what? To be changed, to be convicted. Why? Ultimately drawn closer to Jesus Christ. That's why we need to go into God's word. Someone is searching God's word to justify the way that they're living their life. Uh, I would say it doesn't take a scholar to do that. They're taking God's word out of context. We have to understand and see Paul is using Deuteronomy 30 here. Keep it in the context. Ultimately, looking at verse 14, but the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. You can do it. We're going to continue on. This is going to segue us into um, our like one of the strongest three verses 
Okay, in my opinion, verse 8, 9, and 10. Paul continues on. But what does it say? He's like, look, it doesn't say this. Don't stop doing these things. I guess I should break that up. Don't do these things. Stop doing these things. Okay? Why? Because this is what it truly says. And we're going to see that other part of verse 14 right here. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Why? So that you can do them, right? That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This passage is taken out of context so much because we dive into verses 6 and 7 in a way that is not in step with the Scriptures. And therefore, we misinterpret, we twist and manipulate, right, verses 8, 9, and 10. Don't do that. Don't do that. These three verses here by Paul are at the heart of the gospel, and Paul wants to make it very clear. He wants to make it crystal clear that the gospel is near. It's accessible. It's, it's, in, it, it, it's understandable. It's easy to obtain. It is the good news of salvation by faith, which is preached by Paul, by Jesus, by me. We must accept the incarnation of Jesus. We must accept the truth of his resurrection and believe it in your heart. Believe it in your heart. Now, those that have, that have been around for a while and, and have heard me preach over the years should know where I'm going with this, Okay? We need to confess Jesus is Lord and Savior, right? We need to confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Let me look at the word confess here for a moment. The word confess, this implies, not only implies, but is very, very direct in the manner of this confession. Do not think of our Roman Catholic friends and you need to go to a priest and to a booth and so on and so forth. That is not the confession in which I'm speaking of. Confess, this is an outward proclamation, an outward proclamation that Jesus is Lord and Savior. This is why when I do baptisms, before I baptize someone, they give their testimony. They're making a confession that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. We're going to get into those two aspects of this verse here in just a moment. But the confession must happen. This is not repentance. This is confession. This is confessing. This is proclaiming outwardly, publicly. This is not, well, I did it in my heart, right? That's not what this is here. Yes, heart is part of that, right? That we believe in our hearts, right? So then, we, we get this information, right? We accept the incarnation and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Okay, we understand this teaching, we accept this teaching, and then what? We believe in our heart, and then what? Then we confess with our mouth. What does that remind you of? Head, heart, walk. It means nothing if you just continue to increase this. It means absolutely nothing. We must embrace it. Ah, but it must mo- go much further than a quiver in your liver, right? Than, a, than a, a little something that gets you moving around, maybe, you know, a little emotional. It's much more than that. It's a desire to act upon, right? Why? To live out the commands. To live out the commands. It's nothing if we walk away every Sunday morning or every Bible study is like, wow, I learned a lot. That was great. Wow, I learned a lot. That was great. That's really convicting. And we never live it out. Never. Makes no sense. No sense at all, according to the scriptures. It's like going into the mirror. It's like, man, I'm messed up. Good thing I have Jesus. Jesus is going to help me. Jesus, help me in these areas. And we walk away. And we do nothing. No responsibility. No accountability. No expectations placed upon ourselves to live out the commands that God has given us. Essentially, what the scriptures tell us is when we come and look into the Bible, there's a reflection that should be showing us ourselves, pointing out the deficiencies that we have, right? Kind of like this morning where Lucas's hair was like this. And I go, hey, did you know your hair was like this? I don't know. So you're laying down. It's like, oh, I was laying on the couch. I was like, okay. That's why back here, you know, you got the little peacock action going on. He didn't know. Now he knows. Now we all know, right? Confess with your mouth, right? Public proclamation. There's an example at his expense. I'm sure he'll forgive me. It's all right. Pray on it, brother. But my point is this. As we go and look in Scripture, the Scriptures point out the things in our lives that are not of God. And as the Scripture reflects to us the things that are in our lives that are not of God, those are what? The knowledge and then the conviction. And as we see, understand conviction, what's the next step? A desire to live out God's commands, right? Our walk. Fix your hair. You got a booger hanging out of your nose, right? Whatever it may be, we go into God's word. And when that reflection of God's word of ourselves, right? We need to be able to walk it. Whole bunch of a certain passage in Scripture, right? Okay? Yes, I'm not going to put it up here. I'm not going to give it to you. That can be some homework. You can go figure it out. It's not too difficult. But we must understand this confession is, confession is outward. It's in the mouth. It's publicly. It's something that we must what? It shows action right? Because of our what? Conversion. Because of our faith. 
because of the grace and mercy that we've received. This is the gospel message. What else should we be, what, what, now we get into the details of what we should be confessing. One, Jesus is Lord and Savior. This is hard for a lot of people, right? Why? Because of the concept or the understanding of what it means to confess that Jesus is Lord, right, and Savior. This is called Lordship Salvation. I confess because I am a new being, a new creation, and I confess that Jesus is my Lord. He is my master. I belong to him. I've been bought for a price. That price was him hanging on the cross, Calvary, his death, burial, and resurrection. He is my Lord. People cannot, cannot accept this. They want a savior. They want a superman Jesus. Swoop in and save you out of the depths of hell when that time comes. And that's it. They don't want to belong to someone. They don't want to be accountable to someone. Especially Jesus. We get so stuck on this even today, regardless of our, you know, being Jewish or not. But this justification, this understanding that the sole condition of justification in and through the heart by faith and faith alone, this grace that we received, and it's because of this justification, it's because of this grace, we confess that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. So the confessing that he's my Lord and Savior isn't what saves you. God saves you your faith in him. And we do these things as a response to our salvation. The thing is, is we have a hard time accepting the simple fact. It's not a mere intellectual uh, uh, ascension, so to speak, of, oh, wow, yeah, I get that, and I understand, okay, and right? It's that believing in the heart And then what? Responding to that. It doesn't take but a second to remind you we're not saved by our works. We're saved by our faith. Our works follow our faith. And the believer publicly confessing the salvation, their salvation, um, they've already received it at that point. An outward expression of what has happened, this transformation you're going to want to share it. You're going to want to share it. You're going to want to tell people about the good news. Tell people about the good news. I know that's kind of convicting. We'll get to that next week in Paul's message. But understanding that this confession of Jesus being Lord, Jesus being Savior. He didn't just save you from your sins. He also should be Lord of your life. Should. They're like, well, he's not. Then I was like, okay, then who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? Because it doesn't sound like you belong to God. 
I belong to myself. Okay, exactly. You don't belong to God. Scriptures tell us you don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to God. You've been bought for a price. God made that ultimate sacrifice of his son. That price. Calvary. Who do you belong to? Head, heart, walk. Do we embrace the true gospel message? Thing is, is we need to ask ourselves, do we do it? Do we live it? Do we walk it? Because we want to, we desire to. We want to love and worship Jesus. The thing is, is what is that desire? Where does it come from? Ultimately, that desire should come from your salvation. Because of the price that has been paid for me, I want to worship God. I want to serve God. I want to give to God. I love God. I, I do these things because I belong to him, and my desire is for him and not for self. My desire is for him and not for this world. Do we truly understand the gospel message? I'm going to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30, and we're going to continue on past verse 14. Well, I'm going to reread 14 just to remind us, and then the next two following verses says, Remember, but the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so that what? You can do it. Verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. You see, we can, we can read very clearly where it's easy for us to go wrong. We can read, ah, do all these things and I can enter into the promised land. But we forget what it says, right? Going back, uh, verse 10, when you obey the voice of God and keep his commandments and his statutes that are wit written in the books of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So we missed that part. That comes first. We turn to God with all that we are. We give him all that we are. And then we go and obey his commands and his statutes and these things. Why? Because we want to. Are we always going to want to? No. We make bad choices, right? That's why it's so important for us to get into the word so we can see a reflection, right? That's so important why we're called to come and gather together with one another in fellowship. Why? So we can be encouraged, we can be held accountable, right? We can get more reflection. There are people, there are people in my life, okay, that their walk with God is convicting. Their walk with God is convicting. Why? Because there's areas in their life that they're very strong in, spiritually, and I am weak. And me 
fellowshipping with them is convicting. And we should embrace that conviction. Why? That's another part of how God shows us, right? Our reflection areas we need to improve in. Okay, let's move on. 11, our last uh, verses here in Romans 10, verses 11, 12, and 13. We're going to see more quotes by Paul. It says, For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So now we have all the context, right, of what Paul's saying. Then we can properly interpret, we can properly embrace, we can properly read, right, and discern verses 11, 12, and 13. This is a quote from Isaiah 28, verse 16. Um, he, he changes one word here in the Greek to pas, which means everyone, all, okay? And so he, he, he wants to begin to, to, to display or to teach or to show the Jewish people that the gospel message has been open to everyone. God does not have an alternate method of salvation, okay? This is very important here for some of us who think that um, other people who, who are in other religions or religious groups or sects, um, they believe that uh, their God is the same as our God. They just have a different name for their God, right? That's false. That's heresy, right? God does not have alternate methods of salvation for different groups, different diverse ethnicities, right? That's why I don't believe I don't, I don't embrace the concept of all this ethnic group here, we're going to do a special, like, Christian gathering just for you. So if you're not of this ethnic group, you can't come. Makes no sense whatsoever. It's unbiblical. Makes no sense. I understand there's different churches out there because of language differences, right? Hispanic churches, Korean churches, Chinese churches, so on and so forth. Uh, it's understandable right? But if I walk in there, it's like, okay, you're not of this ethnic group. You can't come here. You can't come to this. You can't come to that. It, it doesn't make sense. It's not biblical. It's been going on for a long time. It's not anything new. If you've never heard of it before, it's not difficult to, to find online. But ultimately, these, the, these ethnic backgrounds, we need to understand that the Bible, the gospel message, right, race and color have no weight at the cross. No weight whatsoever. None whatsoever. This whole understanding or mindset that certain uh, ethnic groups need to repent for sins of past is absolutely unbiblical and false. Shame on anybody who pushes that on any Christian whatsoever. Shame on them. Why? Jesus has paid the price for all those sins. That's why. That is why. Unbiblical. There's nothing in Scripture that you can fully bring to me within context and have a true rendering of it to say otherwise. Trust me. It's been done. People try. But see, race and color are absolutely absent at the foot of the cross. Absent 
at the foot of the cross. We make things complicated. The earth, flesh, the world makes things complicated. Why? To pull people away from the true gospel message. At the foot of the cross, it doesn't matter what color you are. At the foot of the cross, it doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. At the foot of the cross, it doesn't matter where you come from, where you reside. At the foot of the cross, all are equal. None of that makes a difference. Thing is, we need not allow the world to dictate and press upon us how we should and should not feel when it comes to our Christian faith. Why? Because we belong to him. We need to understand him. Why? So that we can live out his commands. Why? Because we're called to love him with all of our mind, soul, strength. This is the greatest commandment that we've been given. We must truly understand the gospel message is for everyone. The Jewish people here had a hard time. They said, ah, this is for us. This is for us. It's not for the Gentiles. It's not for anyone else. We're God's chosen. Not anymore. Paul continues to reference, um, going into a, another verse, Joel, Joel 2.32. Everyone who calls, right, is taken from Joel chapter 2. Um, nowhere in Scripture is there a universal scope of salvation. This is given in such clarity. And this universal scope of salvation, right, to where salvation is open to all and not salvation has been given for everyone. What does that mean? Not everyone is saved or will be saved. A lot of times this is taken out of context and with the understanding that, oh, God is saves everyone. Hell is a myth. It's not true. It's not true. The understanding of the scope of salvation is universal and is presented in a universal format. It is open to everyone. It will not be accepted by everyone. It will not be ultimately salvation will not be given to everyone. I think it's simple for us to see that although God's redemptive plan ultimately was worked out through an individual people group, the Jewish people um, from the beginning, it was meant for and is for everyone everywhere. Now, we've looked at that before in past teachings with Paul here in Romans to where how uh, through time God had saved non-Jewish people throughout the Old Testament right, before it actually became open to everyone, but now it is and is very clear, and Paul makes that distinction. One of the things that we need to make sure we understand is that here in this three verses that God is the God of all. Jesus is the only way to the Father. There's only one way. There's only one way. Thing is, do we embrace that? Do we live that out? Turn me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. I'm sorry, verse 7. 7 through 10. 
We got this passage and one more we're going to close with. Um, and they should be fresh in your minds to a certain extent because I, I used them not too long ago. Um, but here in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, of this gospel, I, w- I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. See, God's grace. And we can never for- forget, right, um, or misplace God's grace. Back to our, our verse which was given to given me by the working of his power. So he received God's grace given to him by the working of God's power. Okay, verse 8. To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And so Paul, see, he understood the grace that he's been given, the gospel, the uh, why he's been called by God and his purpose, right? And understanding that. We're going to dive into that more next week. But understanding that this gift comes in and through God's grace, his mercy, his undeserved favor for each and every one of us. Don't mistake it for something else. Don't become complacent with it. We're going to co- close with Galatians chapter 3. If you're in Ephesians still, just turn a little bit to the left. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. The gospel eliminates all of those worldly things. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. We must understand the true gospel message, not only for our own sake, but for the sake of others. We need to understand it, we must embrace it, and we need to live it out. Why? Because these are the true commands, the true gospel message 
of God. Don't let the world manipulate it. Don't let the world tell you any difference. Don't be the stubborn person in the mirror. Continue to have a desire and love for God because of the grace that you've received from the work on the cross. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for our time this morning. We praise you above all things. May your word press upon our hearts far beyond this morning. May it continue to press upon us to be more like your son. And may it continue to press upon us to change how we live our lives each day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your grace and mercy. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.